The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here today. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3. I hope you did uh, receive the registration link for the uh, Labor Day PB&J. You looking forward to that? Give you a day off to have some fun. And man, what are you guys just like, what in the world is going on? It's hot outside, I think. Uh, I would, I will say this. uh, I'm looking forward to it. We won't be here that Sunday. We'll be at Chicken and Pickle September 3rd. And so uh, make sure you don't forget about that. And uh, make sure you register so we know kind of how to, how many people to expect. And there is a tournament for three different levels. You don't have to play in the tournament. Still plenty of things to do. And so don't feel like you have to come and play in the tournament uh, to enjoy yourself. There's lots of stuff to do up there, and um, we're looking forward to that. And there'll be food. Um, That always makes everything fun. But I'd be lying if I said to you that I didn't have a little bit of concern about winning this tournament. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if it was the softball tournament, I'm generally talking a lot of trash right now. But pickleball, like, uh, you gotta, you get humbled real quick in pickleball uh, by people that you don't think should be able to humble you. And you learn their lesson in that. And so, anyway, looking forward to it. I, and it's going to be a great time. And uh, I'm excited about that. As we look in Genesis chapter 3, it's kind of a fascinating chapter in the Bible. Um, it explains a lot of things. Uh, If you ripped out Genesis chapter 3, and then when you did that, let's just like pretend if you opened your Bible and you took Genesis chapter 3 and tore it out, if somehow some kind of a miracle could happen and everything that was connected to Genesis chapter 3 that was taught, it sort of left the Bible, the Bible would make absolutely no sense. The story of the cross would not make any sense. Redemption would not make any sense. The stories all throughout, it would just, it, it wouldn't make any sense. As a matter of fact, the world wouldn't even make any sense um, to me. There would be no explanation for the existence of evil or why even tragedy happens in our world. Um, without Genesis chapter 3, I would have nothing to go in as I had to go a couple of weeks ago. I think it's been about three weeks, four weeks One of our families um, was expecting their baby to be born, would have been born by now. Um, It was just a few weeks away from the delivery and got a call that there was no heartbeat. And I go up to pray with them. Without Genesis chapter 3, I have no explanation for why. Why did that baby uh, pass away in her womb when they're believers, they love the Lord? Like, why, why did that happen? I have no explanation for uh, one of our other sisters. I've talked about her a little bit recently, but um, loves the Lord, serves. Her and her husband serve on greeting. Um, They're in discipleship group. They're faithful. They give. They pray. I prayed over her before her surgery. Her discipleship group laid hands on her and prayed over her. Our prayer team has been praying over her, and... The report is that uh, when they went in and did surgery, she does have cancer. What's the explanation for that? Now, there are some false teachers out there that would say, well, you guys didn't have enough faith. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, 
is that some, the, the world is broken. It's messed up, man. Um, and little babies that uh, have never drawn a breath of air, they pass away. Abby and I, uh, we should have six kids. Number six, we lost at three months, and it's a weird experience. Why, that, why does that happen? Um, is it a consequence of sin? Is it something that we do that causes that? No, the world is broken. Why did all of those people perish in the, the fires in, in Hawaii? You see, there are so many things when you look at nature and natural disaster happening, uh, and people look at the Bible and they say, man, you know, you have to sort of not be an intellectual to approach the Bible. The Bible gives the best explanation for why those things are happening. As a matter of fact, if you look at a lot of the other philosophical arguments and religions of the world, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous what people say. At least the Bible is pretty clear on why some of these things are happening. So when someone sort of challenges you and makes you feel like you are not intellectual because you believe in the Bible, you need to understand you, you can have an incredible intellect. As a matter of fact, only the fool would say in his heart that there is no God. And so like, don't, don't buy into that. That's a lie of the enemy. And you have to start looking at, well, well, why do some of these things happen? And if we look at Genesis chapter three, it gives us an explanation for why these things happen. This past week, I had to go out and spray a property on Wednesday. Um, it was growing some Lespedeza. You know what that stuff is? I think they call it Cerecia Lespedeza. It's a noxious weed in Kansas, and you can get in trouble um, if it's growing on your property and you don't get it under control. And my neighbor saw some on uh, this property that I'm managing. I had to go take care of that. And so I ran out there, man, and I was in a hurry and did I took all the precautions I thought that was necessary, sprayed down really good, but got that stuff knocked down and sprayed, you know, and got back home. And, you know, about Thursday uh, afternoon, maybe Thursday evening, I, I'm starting to get a little bit of an itch on my ankles. I'm like, okay, I did get into some chiggers, no doubt about that. And we, we're going to look at that and go, why are there chiggers? Because there's a fall, man. Right? There's a fall. Like the chiggers serve a purpose, but it, it wasn't supposed to be this. And the, even in that little simple thing, man, we can see that mosquitoes and things of that nature happen. And, and so uh, by Thursday evening, man, I, uh, I'm getting in bed. I'm not real sleepy. I, uh, I get in bed. It's, I, I kind of stay up late anyways. And um, Abby's already falling asleep and I'm feeling wide awake and I've, I've already loaded up on cortisone because I know how these nights go. I'm ready for it. <laughs> right. And I'm watching TV and, uh, I don't feel tired and, uh, but I'm like, I need to go to sleep. I've got to get, you know, tomorrow is a big day. I got to get all of my work done on Thursday, finish the sermon. I had a couple of appointments that, that morning and, and for lunch and, and so I knew I was going to be pressed for time, and we were taking Faith to Oklahoma to move her in, and we're going to have this quick trip on Friday and Saturday. So I'm a little stressed about it. I'm going to turn the TV off. i got to go to sleep. And I lay there, and I'm trying to, like, um, get some rest, and, and then it starts, man. And, I, like, my ankle said, I'm like, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Put some more hydrocortisone on it. I put some more on there or whatever that stuff is called. And I put that on there. I'm just, don't touch it in my heart, man. Just, and I, finally, I'm like, no. And I want to just get down there and just take all the skin off my ankles, right? And I'm like fighting it and my blood pressure is being raised. Uh, Dr. Jim has already told me it's too high. It's really high at this point. Um, I get out of bed, man, and I, 
I go into the kitchen. I, I, I'm just deciding, man, I can't sleep. I'm going to go upstairs. I, I got some things I need to do anyway. And it's 3.30 in the morning. I put my contacts in, go up there. I sit down and I do a little research. I'm like, man, what can you do to stop chickens from itching? And, and it dawned on me, I had taken some uh, Claritin D earlier. I take it for some of my allergies. It's 12 hour. It wore off. And so I was like, well, I'd take another one of those. And then maybe it, along with this cream. And I took one and man, it worked. I finally was, had some relief. And, and so I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm looking at the, the clock and I'm like, it's 345 now. And I'm like, what, I go back down and go to bed. I, I don't feel tired. And I say, Lord, you know, I got a lot I need to do. And, and so I was like, it would be really nice if I, I've, I've read already a whole lot this week. It'd be really nice if, even though I'm tired, if I could just get this sermon knocked out. And I wrote for the next two and a half hours. And so um, we look at chiggers, and it makes sense that why the Bible says all things work out for the good of those who love God, right? <laughs> Even chiggers. God can use that. And so I wrote what I'm going to share with you, in, um, and, and it's basically just going through verse by verse the story of the fall and getting a good understanding of what in the world is going on here and how it explains a lot of things um, that are happening around us, that happen in our lives, even things of tragedy that happen, why they happen, how we struggle, what's happening in our relationships, what's happening in the culture around us. And, and Genesis chapter 3, man, it just lays it out just as clear as it possibly uh, could. And as we uh, unpack this, it's important to note, man, that I believe this is, a, I take this and read this literally just like God literally created the uh, earth in seven days. I believe this is, is, involves a lot of um, spiritual uh, warfare that is going on and attack from uh, the enemy. And so even as it talks about the serpent, uh, and we're going to start, and what I want us to do is I want to try to get there, because what what has happened, I want you to use your imagination and just kind of picture the event unfolding. But but our imaginations are kind of messed up because all, all of the art, all of the the pictures of it, they always show, man, like a woman and an apple tree and the snake hanging down. Like the snake didn't exist at this point. It was a serpent. And it was a glorious, upright creature. It doesn't say anything about an apple. Um, it says that there is a tree that produced a fruit that would expose you to the knowledge of both good and evil. You would learn about evil from this. And it was forbidden. And God didn't want you to know about that. And then there was a tree that its fruit produced life. And the more that you ate from that, the more it sustained you and the more you could draw on all that God had created for you. And so as we go back there and picture this, it's going to unfold in a se of several different scenes. There's the temptation, the actual act. There's um, uh, uh, We move into a judgment scene, and then we move into sort of a, a prophetic scene. And, and so like as we work through them, I'm going I'm to just pause and, and make some comments along the way that the Lord showed me, and I hope are encouraging for you. And I hope my objective is to take an... And as your pastor, like, build up your faith. Man, your, take that most holy faith that we have in Christ and build it up. And if you don't have faith in Christ, then my objective is to get you to a point where you cross over from unbelief to faith. And you have faith in Christ, and you are a born-again believer that is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And you walk out of this place, man, alive in Jesus. That's, that's the beauty of the gospel, is that, man, your life could be totally transformed um, by listening and responding 
into the truth that the Lord has for you today. And so as we dive in, we start with verse 1, and it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild of any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The first thing I want you to notice is that when this Satan, like this is Satan overcoming and using this creature to interact with a human being. And he says, did God really say, what you need to understand is that is a dangerous demeanor. Anytime we begin to look at what God said and question and go, did God really say that? Is that really what that means? We are in dangerous territory. And when we do it apart from what God has actually said, we are in really dangerous territory. That is what is happening in our culture today. Churches are looking at the Bible and then they are, they are forming a theology and going, well, is that what God really meant? And they're removing, as they draw their conclusion, they're moving further away from the Bible to draw the conclusion and using reason and culture and all these other things. And it's a very dangerous demeanor. You will find yourself and you say, well, how did this happen? It's in you. It's part of uh, being in us. You will find yourself sometimes going, well, is that really what God meant? And when you're there, you need to know danger. Like, I don't want to be anywhere around that. And you certainly will be around people who make these kinds of statements. And that's what I want to show you in this, in this, in this unfolding of the fall as it happens, is that, man, this is a dangerous demeanor to be in. When anybody, anytime you are in the presence of someone who is beginning to question what God actually said, you like warning lights need to go off. It needs to be like, man, this is a dangerous circumstance or situation or language or words that are falling from this person's lips. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. She started listening to a liar, and when you start listening to a liar, you will start adding and subtracting from the word of God. That's what she did. He said, God said you're not to eat it and you're not to touch it. God never did say that you're not to touch it. Now, that's a good mindset for her to be in, to avoid it, but she's adding to what the Word of God says, and this is what people always do. They add to what the Word of God says and end up coming up with legalism that God expects more. This is what the Pharisees were guilty of. This is what people do in our day and age, come up with a list and start oppressing and say, this is what you should do. Or um, even more uh, dangerous probably is taking away from it. Uh, that's not exactly what God means when he says that. God uh, never said you can't touch it. It's a great mindset, but liars always add and subtract to the word like it's arithmetic instead of truth. Okay? So when you're in the presence of a liar, you're going to hear somebody that is adding to or subtracting from the word of God. If you start operating like a math teacher and creating word problems to solve instead of a disciple diving deep into truth. And so you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, what if, 
I mean, you're, I know that you're saying, like I, I've been in this debate with people. You say, well, you, you're saying that God made them male and female, but what if a guy, he's born and he always has been feminine and he's always been uh, attracted to the, is that really? It's the same thing. Like, did, no, did God really say or did he not? Is it really the word of God or is it not? Now, we could look at this in so many different ways, and we use that one and, and kind of point it out, but there are so many different illustrations that we could use that we're, we're, we're turning this um, around, we're looking to, and going questioning what God actually said. And he said, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When you start creating your own problems, you got problems, okay? When you start, if you start functioning and adding to and subtracting, you're creating your own problems. You got problems because I've already said the fall has put us in a place where the world is filled with problems anyway that we have to deal with. Like, it is a problem, like, uh, to, to deal with uh, um, work. Like, it, it's work to, to, when we're performing work of any kind, we're having to function in the midst of problems. And so when we start creating additional problems, on top of the problems that we're having to deal with, we certainly have some serious problems. And she started listening to the lie, and it got twisted. And that's what a truth always does. It twists itself around uh, or the lie always does, is it twists itself around truth. The lie was you'll be like God. Um, you'll know not only good, you'll know good and evil and the difference between them, and you'll be like God. And the truth of the matter was is that you will be like me. <laughs> That's what was happening, is as if she partook, she was going to be like Satan, not like God. It is true that God knows good and evil. You say, well, how do you explain that? How can God know evil? It's sort of like an oncologist who knows cancer. He knows all about it. He knows how to treat it. He knows how to work in it. He's researching it. He's doing everything that he can to help his patient. He knows cancer, but he does not know cancer like the patient sitting across from his desk, unless he has it himself, right? So God knows sin, but he doesn't know sin the way that a human being knows sin. Because a human being, once it is involved in sin itself, and she plunges herself into that, she has experienced sin. Before, she had never experienced it, so she had no knowledge of what it was like. And so this is what a liar is trying to accomplish when they start twisting the word. Is they want to twist it because they want company instead of conviction. They want people to come alongside of them and live in the lie that they're living so they don't feel as guilty as they do about um, their own lives. That's why sometimes when people say, man, when I, when I come to church and they're new to church, they go, I feel, a, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit convicted. Good. I'm not looking for company. I'm looking for the kingdom. And, 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 and I'm not trying to build like uh, uh, this popularity thing. That's not what this is about. This is about me being obedient to what Christ has called me to do, to teach the word of God, to advance the kingdom of Christ here on the planet. And sometimes you will feel convicted. Man, I, I read the word sometimes and it's just like, you know, I'm like, you know, it's and I repent. That's what it's supposed to do. But liars want company, not conviction. So you better be careful who you trust, and you better be careful to who you're listening to. You better be careful about the people that you're allowing to speak into your life, because if they're not diving deep into truth, they will be twisting it. That's what liars do. 
I mean, you, if we look at it, we go, man, I, I don't like to think of, my, uh, of people as being liars. But the fact of the matter is, is you are either believing the truth or you're a liar. That's it. And so you're either surrounding yourself with people of truth or you are surrounding yourself with people who are liars. And our objective as believers who are protecting ourselves and protecting um, our ability to connect with Christ is we want to let people of truth in and let liars out so that we become so firm in the truth that we can start to influence liars and they become people of truth. Sadly, though, a lot of liars stand in my position and leading groups of people into a deeper lie, twisting the truth more and more. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also came to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We look at this story, and we see the serpent, and we go, man, that's, that is awful how he could do that, and look what he did, and oh man, I just, how, why did he, like, it's so bad even, why would God allow that, that, that creature to do that to his people? Be careful. We don't see the serpent for a bit. The mission has been accomplished. The seed of doubt has been planted. The skeptic has been created. Leave her alone and let her dwell on her thoughts of the lie that I've put inside of her mind. And notice that once she buys the lie and bites into that which she should not have, the first thing she does is take it to Adam. Why? Because she desires companionship in her deed. Sin always begets sin. She became a liar herself. Her eyes were open to sin. She wanted companionship, not conviction anymore. She needed someone to be alongside of her. And she took it to him. And he partook, and both of their eyes were open to sin, and they immediately see things they don't like about themselves. They'd never seen that before. And all of a sudden, man, it's like they see something they do not like about themselves. And so they start comparing and hiding from each other because their eyes were closed to the abundant life and open to death. They went from companionship to cover them up like that. What's fascinating is that work that was given to them to be enjoyable now changed from lording over creation in this fallen state to hiding from creation and using the creation to hide with. Adam hid from Eve. Eve hid from Adam. They took that which was created and the plants that they were to use to lord over everything in the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom. They're taking it and using the very creation that God had given them to hide from each other. Does this sound familiar? You know, people use money. Look at me. Look at how high I've climbed the corporate ladder. Look at how big my church is. Look at how successful I am in sports. Look at how many championships that I've won. Look at how many friends I have. Look at how cool my house is. Look at how cool my car is. I'm Those are people who can fall into the trap of using creation to hide from creation. And see, we're hiding from each other, and we're hiding from the creator himself. 
They were impacted by the fall before they understood the fall. That's our culture. Living with the impact of it, but spiritually ignorant to it. Having no idea. And, and, And that may be you today. You may be spiritually ignorant of the fact that we're living in a fallen world and you are in a fallen state and you do not have a relationship with God because you are a good guy. The fact of the matter is, is that these people died and you come from these people and they died spiritually in this moment when they ate from that fruit and they took on the knowledge of evil, they passed it on to the entire human race. And it doesn't matter how good you are, you are not in relationship with God based upon your goodness. When you believe a lie, you become part of the lie and you don't realize it and that's where they were. That's where our culture is. Much of our culture doing a lot of good deeds for the sake of humanity, but the fact of the matter is, is they're part of a lie because they have rejected the truth that could set them free from their sins and reverse everything that has happened to them. Why? Because they are human. You don't have to come into the world and sin to offend God. You offend God because you are desperately wicked and apart from him. You are an enemy of his when you come onto this planet, even as an infant. And only by the grace of God can even an infant be saved. But we are all sinners. There is none who does righteous, no, not one. If I had to get up here every week and preach on the basis of my righteousness, it would be terrifying. It's terrifying enough to do it in the righteousness of Christ. But to do it in my own righteousness would be It's just impossible. And the man and his wife, after they had entered this place, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And they heard the sound of God. They were already hiding from each other. Here comes God. This is not what you would expect to hear from the story, especially how everybody portrays the God of the Old Testament. He's so vengeful and wrathful. I like Jesus. I like the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament seems to be so harsh. I mean, we would expect that the way people describe the God of the Old Testament when he came in this time, that there, there would be thunderbolts and lightning and fire falling down from the sky and asteroids striking around them. And he's, Adam, where are you? That's not what we find. We find God walking with a normal gait and calling out. That's what you do when you know someone is scared. You come home or you go around the backyard and your dogs are in the backyard and and they hear you coming and it's pitch black outside and they're like, hey, it's me. It's me. Nothing to be afraid of. That's how God came and approached them. Where are you? (laughs) He knew where they were. He had just created them. He knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows everything about everything that ever was, and he certainly knew exactly where they were hiding. So why did he ask where they were? The question was for them. They didn't know. Do you know where you're at today? There are a lot of people that have no idea, that don't realize I'm not in relationship with the Father, the creator of the universe. They didn't know. They were confused. They were lost. They didn't know what had happened to them. All that they knew is that everything shifted in that moment and it changed and it didn't feel the same because they immediately went from no shame to shame and hiding from one another. 
Listen to the desperation in his voice. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? It's such an important question about identity. And here's what I would want you to hear. You may see yourself as naked. All of hell wants to see you naked, but God doesn't want to see you naked. And that's the point. Adam needed to hear that. He needed to hear that even though he felt like he was naked, and even though um, all of hell was probably chanting at him that he was naked, God is like, I didn't tell you you were naked. What's going on in your thought process? Son, did you disobey me? Of course he knew that he disobeyed him. He was giving him an opportunity to confess, repent. And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some. She gave me some of the fruit of the tree and I ate it. She did it. She brought it to me. And we laugh. This is what we do. Last week, we were just looking at Adam, and they had lambed all the animals, and then God put him in this deep sleep and made this incredible creation from bone of his bone. He sees her coming, and he's like, woman, someone for me, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She did it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. What is going on here with this blame? Ultimately, they're passing the buck. And they're passing it on to God. God, if you hadn't made that woman for me to enjoy, I would not have offended you. God, if you hadn't made that creature and put it there, and it is the one that deceived me, and I wouldn't have done it. It's the same thing that we do. Well, I wouldn't be in this situation, but. So we look at them and we ask, how could they? Why aren't they confessing? Why aren't they confessing before the Lord? Why are they blaming? Why are they doing this? There are parents, and to prove to you the power of this story, every bit of what happened in their DNA is in us. Every bit of it. That's why you're driving down the interstate and the guy cuts over and, and you're like, you idiot. But then you're driving down the interstate and you cut in front of him and he, you look in your rear view mirror and see him going, you idiot. You're going, it was an accident. You see the blame. And, and when you become a believer, you don't quit doing it. And you have to guard against it. We blame everybody for everything. And, and we don't want to be culpable for, for the things that are happening around us. Man, I've been working on this deck and Red Dog's been out there in the yard. I let him dig this big spot up where this tree was growing. And, and it had these roots in it, man. And they, they, the tree died and, and, and it, several years ago, but I never have been able really to do anything with this spot because I go out there and work. It has these big roots. Well, they've rotted a little bit. And I noticed while I was working on the deck, Red Dog was over there digging in it, and he was pulling these roots up. I was like, this is brilliant. Like, get those things out of there, man. 
And so I just let him dig, and he's pulling out. He's pulling out big stuff. And, and I mean, he had dirt on his mouth, and he's just having a good time. I was like, look, I don't even have to walk him. He's getting exercise. Roots are good. And he would do this. He would dig this way for a while, and then he would turn around and dig this way. So he was sort of leveling everything. And so I was like, well, let him do this, and I'll get a little further along, and then I'll, I'll go get some topsoil and fix that and put some sod down. And so that's what I did and fixed a lot of other spots in the yard, and I was feeling really good about it and, and getting the yard and looking a lot better. And, and so I knew that now I had to make sure that Red Dog learns we don't dig anymore, right? <laughs> well, I've got one of them uh, Garmin Alpha GPSs that you put on them. I use it for him for tracking, and... And so I can sort of watch what he's doing. And, and, uh, and what I do is I put it on him, and I'm going to teach him, reinforce. You know, it's, it's got a tone, and it's got a uh, little, little shock, and it's got a big one. <laughs> and so, so what I do is I like, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start putting his collar on him. And then I, well, I go up to my study, and, and I'm going to study a little while. And, and I do this for a while, you know. And I've got him in a pretty good rhythm. He knows. He tried to dig a couple times, and I, and I hit him. And, and, and I would sneak down sometimes and just check on him. And, and if he was laying around, nothing. And, and I would wait and just wait. And then he, well, as soon as I'd see him start, I'd hit him. And boy, he'd run over to the shade and no more digging. He wouldn't, he wouldn't even want to be even nowhere near that hole that he used to love. And you go, well, that's so cruel. He's my dog. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I come down the other day, and I, I had been up in my study, and I, I came down. This was the beginning of the week. Um, and I, I noticed Red Dog is not in the house. Somebody has let him out. And I go out, and I look, and there is a hole as wide as this step and as long as this step and all the way down to my sprinkler pipe. And I go back in, and Abby and the girls are leaving. And I was like, did you guys let Red Dog out? You didn't put his collar on him. And I began to blame my wife for the hole that my dog dug. Why? Because that's what we do. Now, later the Lord corrected me from that. We talked about that. And I could see, man, we're doing this all the time. It's always somebody else's fault when something happens. Uh, when something happens, something gets broke, we want to blame it on somebody else that didn't do this, that, or the other. And so it's part of our DNA, and we can see it's part of the fall. We've inherited it. Now, fortunately, in, in Eve's case, when we look at her, and she does recognize um, one thing very important. She recognizes that she's been deceived. Now, I use that blame thing because I want you to see how this has impacted you personally uh, when we talk about the fall. And so she realizes she's been deceived, and, and my heart aches for people who have not realized this. And there are some of you who may not have realized it, and for the first time, um, you may be coming to an awareness of it, but the reality is if people are being deceived, they're feasting on death instead of life. And so God turns to the serpent because he doesn't like the deception, and he works in reverse order. And the judgment starts to fall. So we enter a different scene. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
You will no longer walk and be one of the most incredible creatures that ever existed. You now will crawl. And I will put enmity between your offspring and her offspring. So there was a physical, what happened in the physical world that took place of the shape of this creature that the enemy used and possessed in that moment in this evil, wicked scheme against God's um, creatures, the humans. That thing turned into a snake after the judgment, and it slithered off, man. And then enmity physically happened between human beings and uh, uh, snakes. Like, people don't like snakes. Now, there are a few of you weirdos out there that do, okay? No, but, but for the most part, they're terrifying. We don't like them. We don't like to be around them. And you could be walking down. I've been out hunting before, man, and just been in a great mood and, and looking this way and looking that way. And all of a sudden, a snake, and I'm like, boom, man, just scare me to death because I thought I was going to step on it. And like, you just feel like it's going to come get me. Why? There's enmity in me. Um, and I'm afraid of them. And it's sort of something that has happened uh, in us. But it has a deeper meaning than just physically, and that's why some people aren't afraid of them. They sort of overcome their fear of them, and that's great, but just keep them to yourself. There's also spiritual enmity, because this is indicative of the, the spiritual enemy, Satan, who possessed the serpent. There would be enmity between his offspring. What are his offspring? Well, we know several different passages in Ezekiel and Isaiah um, talk about the identity of Satan, and it uses a figure of a human king, but it's also talking about the spiritual um, uh, 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 cherubim that fell, that was in this archangel, I should say, that fell from his glorious position, that used to lead in worship. He was a glorious being. And so we can look, see that, and we see in Revelation that a third of the angelic realm fell with him. So his offspring are those who chose to rebel with him. And so he's saying there will be enmity between not only the human physical offspring, but they, the spiritual offspring as well. That demonic force would have enmity and come against the force that would come from the seed of the woman. The seed that is talked about from the woman is all of us in a physical form, but also it is a prophecy of the, uh, the Christ, the Messiah that would come, and he would change everything that had happened. And, um, in this curse, and, and, and he would defeat the enemy ultimately. And so he says, I will put enmity between you, her offspring and your offspring, and it is a picture of the spiritual warfare that we engage in. So in other words, and I go back where I'm in that illustration of where I'm blaming Abby, the enemy can use my flesh and get me upset about something, and I can continue to listen and operate and function like that, but because I recognize there's enmity between his offspring and my and the offspring of Christ, and I am now a child of Christ, I am part of his offspring, then I'm going to go and enter into spiritual warfare. I'm going to talk to Abby about my attitude and how I acted in that moment and recognize that it was sinful and thereby defeat the enemy that I'm in enmity with. And that's, that's what he's saying is going to happen between the offspring uh, from the woman and the, the, uh, the uh, Satan himself. And so then he gives the uh, heel, heel and head prophecy of how deliverance will come. And he says that you, 
You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And so all the way back in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, we have a picture of the coming of Christ on the cross of Calvary, and, and, and Satan would throw everything that he had at Jesus to bruise him. And all the prophets, like Isaiah prophesied, that he was bruised for us. And so Satan bruises him on the cross. He dies, and he is in the grave for three days. But on the third day, he rises to crush the head of Satan and take away all of his power. And that's why the Bible talks about we are seated with Christ um, in heavenly places. That's where our victory is located. And so now we are in this place where the, the, a promise has been given. Now imagine the horror they felt, as they felt as they witnessed the serpent transform into this snake and slither off into the wilderness. What's going to happen to me? And he works first to Eve, and he turns. He's like, she's probably terrified. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Pain and birth and, uh, and desire for the husband was the consequence of, of, of her rebellion. What does that mean? What well, means that now, not only would she experience a physical pain when she gave birth to her children, but that she also would experience deeper emotional pain when it came to her kids. Now, we all worry about our kids, and I think fathers are concerned and worry about their kids, and, and they get upset over them and, and, and things, but not like, not like mom. Nobody worries about the kids like mom. Like, I know my dad never worried about me like my mom worried about me. And I know that I don't worry about my kids like Abby worries about our kids. And why is that the case? It is because, man, she, she has a, 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 a pain inside of her that she's like, that's part of the falls. It's part of the woman's DNA. And then also she's going to have the desire for her husband. He will rule over them. What does that mean? Well, I think that it means, as we talked about last week, that God has put us in this place where we're to live out our oneness. It was easy for a woman to be one with a man and submit to his spiritual authority in her life before the fall. But after the fall, it was going to be something that was hard to do. And so that was, that, that's, that's what took place in this moment. Then he turns to, to the man and he said, that's not fair. What would, what would have been fair is if God would have went, you're dead, right? That would have been fair. God is showing grace here. He turns to Adam and he says, because you listened to your wife and you ate free, fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. He looks to Adam. And this is why the Bible, the Bible never says that all fell in Eve. We, we, as federalists, we all receive sin through Adam's sin, not Eve's. And so sometimes guys will joke and say, Eve screwed it all up. Not so. Eve was deceived. Adam just did it. God promised that he would save the world through the seed of the woman, and the seed he made didn't have anything to do with the man. And so God looks, and he sentences Adam, you listened instead of led your wife. Cursed is the ground. 
Now you will work hard to provide for your family. And the oneness that I had given you will become hard for you to reproduce in your life. And you will be out of Eden and you will experience death, which they didn't even know what that was. So we look at this and God is basically saying, man, like Adam, things aren't going to be as easy as they were. And we, at first glance, where there's a real um, fast reading through it without thinking about it, it feels like God is being harsh. But we must be reminded that the story is about God and he is holy and man has become unholy. And so now he cannot be in the presence of that unholiness. And as I land this thing, it's going to be become really, um, uh, this, the stuff that I'm going to share with you is really, really important. And the first thing I'd want you to notice is what, how Adam responded to, to his judgment. He named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. God didn't name her Eve. God, as a matter of fact, Adam named her woman in the first place. So your Bible may say in the titles that this is the story of Adam and Eve. It was Adam and woman all the way up into this point. All the way through the Bible, when we see somebody's name being changed, a significant promise is taking place. I will make you a father of many nations. You're going from Abram to Abraham. Uh, Peter, upon you, I'm going to build my church. You're going from uh, Simon to Peter. Um, you're going from Saul to Paul. I have a purpose for you. I have a promise for you. But this time, Adam says, you're going from woman to Eve, because you will be the mother of all living. What in the world does that mean? Well, that's what I was indicating just a moment ago, is that God used the seed of a woman that the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt in, and he made a new man, a new Adam in Christ, and it was going to be the hope of the world. So when Adam was listening to the first judgment as he was in his terrified state, and he thought God was going to destroy him, he heard the truth of the promise that was made that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the enemy that had just defeated him. And because he heard that promise, he, in faith, renamed his wife to Eve because he knew she was going to be the hope of the world. As a matter of fact, they expected that this first child that we will look into next week, Cain, they thought he was going to be the one. And they started looking forward to the one that would come that would be the deliverer. And all throughout Israel's history, after they become a nation, that's what they do is they're looking forward to the deliverer, the Messiah, who would save them and rescue them from this hopelessness that they found themselves to be in. And so what he does is in forward-looking faith, he proclaims it. Watch this. He goes from listening to his wife and jumping into sin to leading his wife in worship. He didn't say, would you like your name to be Eve? He didn't say, I think this would be a good idea. Would you? He knew that he had heard from God a promise that was their only hope, and he said, this is where we go. And there are too many of your men that the women in your house are the ones getting you to get out of bed and come to church on Sunday. There are too many women in too many households who are having to lean into the husband and say, let's go to discipleship group. Let's get involved in church. We need men who will rise up and lead in this generation show their children this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what we need. That's why the world is broken. 
The family is broken because men are not leading in the way that they're supposed to lead. And so they cannot achieve oneness in their relationships because the wives that the Lord has given them can't submit to their leadership because their leadership is broken. And so like what I'm trying to do is raise up a, a group of believers in Christ who will come along with me and go shoulder to shoulder with me and man up. And so if you're wondering, am I preaching to you because you're a man and why am I preaching to you so hard? Because you are a man and there are expectations for you. And you say, well, I, I don't know, man. This is a little bit uncomfortable for me. I'm not looking for companionship in the sense that I need you to come alongside of me and be sin sinful. I need you to come alongside of me and be kingdom-minded. The world is broken, and what we're trying to do is hard. And if what I say offends you and you need another church that is soft, I would say find it next week because this is the truth, and it won't change because the hope of the world lies on Christ alone. And the Lord has asked the men in, in the kingdom to lead their families in such a way that oneness can be achieved with our spouses and that we are able to lead and love them like Christ loves the church, that they can willingly submit to our authority because they see so much Jesus in us. If you ask the Lord to submit to you and you look like the devil, you're asking your wife to do the impossible. It'll never happen. But she won't have a problem if you reverse the curse. And that's what is happening in this whole next section is a reversal of the curse. And as Adam is beginning to lead his wife in worship, the Lord God, it says, made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and to also or take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden and cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. He evicts them from Eden, but before he evicts them to go into this world that they are not of, right? He covers them. And what he does is he does away with the fig leaf suits that they made and he covers them with coverings that he made from the death of two animals. He's doing away with their works righteousness and he's giving them his works of righteousness, just like Romans talks about. He let them witness the death of the innocent to provide an acceptable sacrifice to atone for their sin. They'd never seen death. And two animals, and I believe probably two animals they loved dearly, died in their sights and bled for them and their skins were used to cover up their shame. But <laughs> they believe. They believe in the promise of the, the deliverer. They believe in what God is saying. They quit believing for a moment, but they're starting to believe again. The man is leading. The woman is uh, listening. And they are listening to the truth that is falling from the lips of God. And God, because they believe, sees them as righteous. And they are looking forward to the cross, just like we look backward to the cross in faith. It's the holy faith. He evicts them from Eden so that their physical separation from him isn't sealed forever. Just, again, you have to understand this. They're being moved out of this place of perfection, and they go east of Eden, but Eden is still there. 
Next week when we look at um, the, the offerings of Cain and Abel, it says that they took their sacrifices to God. Where did they take them? I believe they took them to the gates of Eden. Where is Eden now? I don't know. But the Lord is working on it. He evicts them because had they eaten from the tree of life in that sinful state, they would forever have been sealed in their physical state of never being able to experience the life that would be necessary or the transformation necessary that they could enter God's presence again. So he evicts them from Eden because they would have to, uh, and then he guards it with these flaming swords and cherub, and, and, and as he guards it there, he... Uh, he, he moves them out with these coverings that he's provided as a protection for them, and they would have to live their lives and die, face judgment, and be resurrected before they could return again physically to the place of perfection. The rest of the Bible is how God would do this and make it possible. This is what you need to see. That's Jesus right there. That's Jesus who did that. The difference is, is it's not just God the Son, it's God the Holy Spirit, and it's God the Father in all of his glory. I believe it's a bit of a picture of what Peter, James, and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration when his robe of flesh was raised and they saw him in all his glory. And so what we have is God the Father in all of his glory on He's in Eden, and because of man and all of his sin and his disobedience, he is outside of Eden. He is away from God. And what does God do? He takes the next several thousand years, and he tells a story of how he will redeem fallen humanity. And over and over, he hammers it out through this little nation called Israel that's on the news every night when you turn your TV on. And for thousands of years, he's been hammering it out. And in Part of those years, a couple of thousand years ago, what he did is robed himself in flesh and left Eden and dwelt among them. God among us, Emmanuel. He took on flesh and he hung on a tree in order to seek and to save that which is lost. This is the gospel in Genesis chapter three. You will find it all the way throughout the Bible. And the reality is, you're either living amidst this truth, or you're denying it. And the big idea is you can lie to people, you can lie to God, but what's most absurd is when you lie to yourself and you know it. Like you know that you're lying to God. You're denying what God has done. You're denying the gospel or, or you're living in rebellion to it. It's, it's insane. It's just the most insane and absurd thing that you could do. So my encouragement to you today is, is if you are a believer, receive this and let it build up your most holy faith and may you boldly go out this week and live in a way that declares the truth of the gospel to a lost and dying world. If you're not a believer... You're a liar. That's it. Like you, you're a liar. You know, well, who am I lying to? Yourself. 
And you just keep lying to yourself. Why am I lying to myself? Because the father of all lies has deceived you. And the word tells us, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For what shall a man, whatever a man sows, that's what he shall reap also. When you begin to sow into faith and believe in faith that Christ is risen, and he is risen indeed, and you call upon the Lord and you confess, I'm like Adam. I'm a sinner. And nothing I do could make any difference about me. It's just a fig leaf suit that is a work of, of, of righteousness that I'm trying to hold up before God. I'm lying to him, I'm lying to people, and I'm lying to myself. And so what do I do? Stop lying. Confess your sin to the Lord. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And if, you, if you've been a soft believer, man or woman... Man, quit that. Like, just stop and go, what am I doing in my life? I remember when I used to be a soft believer. It's the most miserable place on the planet. You'd be better off than not to know Jesus than try to know Jesus and be a softy. Like, just not a soft church. If you haven't figured that out, wrong place. First time here, man, we're serious about following Jesus. And so what I would encourage you to do is get serious. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If you're a man here that needs to repent, why don't you lead the church and come up here and get on your face before God? Repent of your sin and believe that God can use you to lead your family. If you're a student that needs to repent and repent, your wife that needs to repent and repent, call upon him. He is looking for you. He knows where you're at. He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to help you. And when you believe in faith, he will be there with you. And I'd encourage you to come and use the altar or ask one of these people at the front to pray with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the word, for its power, for its truth. Help us not to lie to ourselves, Lord. Help us not to be deceived by the enemy that we are in enmity with. Help us to lay hold of the truth and let it transform us. Let us be men, Lord, that are worthy of following, following, that our wives would look to us and our children would look to us and they go, that's what Jesus looks like. Let our wives, Lord, let our women of the church be glorious examples like those women of old, Lord, that were full of faith. Let our students, let our kids shine with the hope of glory, Lord. We plead with you to do this for the sake of our nation, for the sake of the kingdom, that we might conquer territory for you, Lord, that you might raise us up and we might do battle against the wickedness in our city that is deceiving people, people who have bought into the lie. Lord, may we be an answer that helps pull them and catapults them out of deception. What we ask for, Lord, we can only see happen if you, you do it yourself and you just lead us along in the journey. So we pray, Lord, for that kind of revival. We pray for that kind of outpouring of your spirit. We pray for, Lord, what we cannot do in our own power. May it be, Jesus, may it be. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.